Judgment Day is right now. Judgment Day is happening right now. Today is Judgment Day. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time, my name is Brian Jones, pastor here at the church. It's my privilege to serve with a whole bunch of great women and men here. We're so glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series of talks based on the book of Revelations, the last book in the Bible. We're calling this series Revelation Understood. And the reason we're calling it Revelation Understood is for the last 150 years, religious kooks and television evangelists have stolen this book from the church and we're stealing it back. First week, we talked about how John gave Jesus or Jesus gave John, the last living apostle, this vision in chapter 1, then in chapters 2 and 3, wrote seven letters to seven leading churches throughout Asia Minor, which was modern-day Turkey. Last week, we talked about how John received a vision of the throne room in heaven. And today, chapter 6 through 9, Jesus' judgment on earth. So if you have not been frightened by the book of Revelations, Today is the day where the gloves come off. Last week we talked about how in the throne room of heaven, someone yelled out, who is worthy to take the scroll and take off its seven seals and open it up so that God's wrath could occur? And so it says in Revelations chapter 6 verse 1, I watched as the Lamb Open the first seal on the scroll. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, come out. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. This is what's commonly referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, come, come out. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. And to him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine, which essentially was a merchant yelling out, but it's inflation. And so what, yeah. Six pounds of barley for a day's wages is like someone yelling out, a gallon of milk for $3,000, a loaf of bread for $800. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, come out. I now looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind him, and they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now I want to pause here and say, while all of this destruction and judgment is going on, 
Christians are dying on earth. There is this popular idea that was popularized by television evangelists that there was going to be a rapture and all of the Christians were going to be taken out from the earth and they would go to heaven and they wouldn't have to endure the tribulation that is absolutely not taught in the book of Revelations. Christians are here during the tribulation. When I opened the fifth seal, I saw under the, under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer and notice this until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. Christians are here during the tribulation. I watched as he opened a sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich and the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the mountains or the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? In chapter 7, verse 13, it continues, Then one of the elders asked, These in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. You know who they are. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then the last seals opened. The seventh seal continues in chapter 8. And then he, he opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of God's people. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. What we just read is this. In AD 33, what happened? Jesus died on a cross. Revelations 4 and 5, we see this vision of the Lamb, referring to Jesus, who sees a scroll that has seven seals. In the physical world on earth, there are
non-Christians. And then there are Christians. Disciples of Jesus. Each seal that Jesus is taking off is a judgment of God's wrath on the earth. Fire. Killing. War. Plague. Death. And there's a whole bunch of other things. This is happening right now. The tribulation, and I got to get a whole bunch of you to, to detox from the Left Behind series. The tribulation, 33 AD, Jesus dies on the cross. In 85 AD, John is writing this book of Revelation. We're here in 2022, and over here will be the final day of judgment. This whole time is the tribulation. And what you need to understand is that you were taught by television evangelists that Satan is causing all of this judgment to have in the world to happen in the world. Satan is causing all of this pain and suffering. And what you need to understand is that Jesus is the one that's doing the tribulating. This whole thing is God's wrath. And the book of Revelation says he's pouring it out on the earth. But Ephesians tells us that these people, the disciples of Jesus, are not going to experience this wrath the way the non-Christians are. They're going to be shielded from the wrath, as it says in Ephesians 2, 1 and Romans 9. Look at this scripture with me. As for you, speaking to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? Satan? Wrong. Tom Brady. He's the evil one. <laughs> Come back, Tom. We want to beat you one more time in the Super Bowl. But Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, right? The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. All of us were these people. Gratifying the cravings of the flesh. Following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of the crap storm that God was bringing on the earth. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ and allowed this event, the cross, to create a covering so that God is not now punishing us with his wrath. What's happening now is that non-Christians are persecuting Christians 
And also, we will experience collateral damage. This concept that God is judging right now, non-believers, this is going to, this is going to um, surprise you, is not a popular concept. I was a pastor in uh, Florida, gosh, almost 30 years ago. And um, there was this weird group that was coming in town claiming to be Christians. And I wrote this article that was picked up by the newspaper and it became this big thing. And so that Sunday, there was a guy that came on the second row, to the left, to the left on the second row, was sitting there with a crowbar and he came to kill me. Because I disagreed with him on this, sat there. Police officer grabbed him, then a whole bunch of people grabbed him and took him out. I demand to talk to a police officer right now. And one person said, sir, every person that has a hand on you right now is a police officer. 30 years ago, you get taken to jail. You come to kill someone here, they're going to take you out in a body bag. I mention this because... People get really freaked out by this, but I'm not going to hold back. There are four guidelines for interpreting the book of Revelation. It's important before what I say, you understand these. Number one, understand that the Revelation utilizes an Old Testament style of writing called apocalyptic imagery. You know, when you read the book of Revelation, you see there's this, there's this flame and a horse and that sort of thing. Well, this is nothing new. The Old Testament prophets would write this way to encourage people that were far from God. Book of Daniel, during captivity, Book of Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea, and four great beasts, each different from the others, came out of the sea. And the first was like the lion, it had the wings of an eagle. Why are they talking this way? It's very simple. Under the reign of Domitian, where John is writing, if he wrote a book that said Jesus has started a kingdom, he is truly the Lord, and he's taking over the world by a spiritual insurrection, what do you think the evil Roman emperor Domitian would have done? Kill them all. Instead, he didn't do that. Why? Because the book of Revelation was written in imagery that disciples of Jesus would have known was from the Old Testament. Number two, the symbols utilized are never meant to be interpreted, but felt. You ever read something and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. I don't know what it means, but it's beautiful. How many times have we been in the car and we're singing a song, right? And you're like, this song is great. And oh, now it's a love song. And I feel so much love for my wife. And it turns out the song is talking about a guy with his dog, right? Doesn't matter, right? And so, but it makes you feel something, right? And how many times, you know, uh, Eight Mile from Eminem, like, like, you know, bum, 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 you know, like, let's go. Uh, I'm a man. I want to kill somebody, right? I want to, I want to beat you in basketball just by this song, you know, and songs, literature does that. You feel something. And that's what the book of Revelation is intended to do, unless the book tells you what an image is. 
We have a we champion a, a rule of biblical interpretation here at our church where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. In other words, if there's some bizarre imagery in the book of Revelations, if it doesn't tell us what it is, we're just like, we're supposed to read it as, wow, that's kind of cool, or woo, that's kind of scary. We don't fill in the blanks. Let me give you an example. Revelations 13, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And the 80s, when I became a Christian, look at this guy right here. Do you know who that is? Some of you who are millennials or younger, you're like, no, no idea. Or I read about this guy in a textbook, Mikhail Gorbachev. Look at his head. Everybody said he's the beast. The beast of revelation. No, he's not. No, he's not. Here's a way to help us understand how the book of Revelation communicates truth. Here is a paint, or this is a photo of a cat. Okay? Cute cat. Are we licking its butt? Doesn't matter. It's a cute cat. Right? Um, how many of you are cat people? How many of you are Satanists? All right. So this is a uh, picture, a photo, picture of a cat, right? And this is my uh, painting in 10th grade of this cat. I told you I was in advanced art class. And it took me 13 weeks to paint this. But actually, I'm just kidding. That's not my painting. But this is a literal painting, right? This is a literal painting. This is a painting of the picture. Everybody gets that, right? Literal. Here is an abstract painting of that picture. And some of you are thinking, well, now there's Brian's painting. Now, right there, right? An abstract painting basically is trying to paint a cat in an abstract way. But the problem is, is if you didn't have the first two, if you didn't have the photo or the painting, you wouldn't know it's a cat. Yeah, you see some whiskers on the side, and some, but I see three eyeballs and some piano keys, and I, I see a fish in there and that sort of thing. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. So the key, when we read a passage in the book of Revelation, we have to ask ourselves, what basic idea is communicated here? What's the big idea that's communicated here? Number four, when reading a passage, we have to ask, what's the big idea here? Then look at the other 26 books of the New Testament for an explanation. There is nothing, and I will say this repeatedly, there is nothing in the book of Revelations that isn't taught in the other 26 books of the New Testament. So our challenge is, when, where does the New Testament literally teach the concept of God's judgment where Revelation only alludes to it in abstract apocalyptic imagery? Does everybody get this? So we're asking, the book of Revelation teaches this. God has opened up a can on non-believers, and it's a crap storm. But what does the rest of the New Testament teach? What the rest of the New Testament teaches is, oh, you better believe it. God is judging. But he's not judging by sending fire. When was the last time there was a non-believer at a college campus? God, if you're real, strike me dead with flames and boulders. Hasn't happened. Why? Because the other books in the New Testament say he doesn't do that. Does God go and kill people? In the Old Testament? You betcha. 
In the New Testament, there's a little thing called the cross, which has changes how, how he judges people. Does God cause war? Is God the one that's behind the scenes with Putin and Ukraine and all of that? Everybody sees the end times, and that's what God's doing. Is God doing that? What does the New Testament teach? No, not doing that. Did that in the Old Testament. But this experience right here changed that. Did God send plagues? Is he sending COVID? A lot of Christians were like, God is sending COVID. And there were a lot of crazy Christians who were like, don't take the vaccine because it's the Antichrist's way of putting a chip in your body. And you just need to understand, God doesn't send plagues. Did he do it in the Old Testament? Yes. But there's a little thing called the cross, which changes judgment. Finally, is God in the business of killing people? In the book of Revelations, absolutely. He's tearing it up. Killing people right and left. Did that happen in the Old Testament? Of course it did. Struck them dead. Little thing called the cross, which changes that. God's wrath, the New Testament says, is this. Here's God's wrath. You're a non-believer. God judges you by doing this. There's his judgment. And he turns it away. And says, go ahead. Do it. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to stop you at all. If you want to do life your own way, your decisions are going to cause ramifications which will screw up your life and you will continue progressively getting worse. And God's like, that's my judgment. My judgment is not that I'm sending fire, like the book of Revelation says, and horses and swords and war and death and plagues. Actually, it's worse than that. He says, I'm not going to do anything to you. Not nothing at all. Where do we get this concept? Romans chapter 1 tells us, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. How does God display his wrath? Look at what it says. Next verse, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over. The phrase, God gave them over, occurs three times in Romans 1. It's the Greek word, katalaso. It basically is, okay. God gave them over to sexual impurity, verse 24. God gave them over to shameful lust, verse 26. God gave them over to a depraved mind, verse 28. God judges non-believers by allowing them to continue in their sin. And the reason he's doing this is because he loves them. I had a kid in uh, third grade, a friend of mine, Donnie. We always wanted to smoke. You remember that? Is this like a Gen X kind of thing? You know? Like reefer wasn't available everywhere, so the big thing was we're going to smoke cigarettes. We're going to smoke. We're going to smoke a whole pack. We're going to smoke it down. We're just going to sit here and smoke. So Donnie tells me, we're at a, we're at a uh, grocery store, and we pick up a uh, cigarette. We smoke it a little bit. 
Donnie goes home, and evidently his dad was not really up on the concept of letting your kids smoke a pack of cigarettes. But his son said, I want to smoke. His dad said, no. Donnie said, I want to smoke. Dad said, no, I want to smoke. Fine, Donnie, get into the car. They went in the car, they went to the grocery store, got a pack of cigarettes and a lighter, went back home, sat on the porch, and he said, fine, go ahead, smoke. Smoked one cigarette, and what does his dad say? Go ahead, try another one. Smoked the second one, smoked the third one, smoked the fourth one, and Donnie was like, I can't do it anymore. His dad looked at him, smoke another one. Now, you get put in prison today for this, right? Let's, let's acknowledge that, right? But it was a great lesson. Do you think Donnie smokes to this day after he vomited in the bushes? Of course not. And we use this as parents all of the time. We, I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. I'm telling you, you don't want to do that. But evidently, you're going to need to do it to learn the consequences. And that can be good parenting. What's bad parenting is when we become enablers when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s and they're still doing destructive things and then we're going to enable it. Like, oh, you need to give me money for the rent. No, sorry, you're going to live on the street. Oh, come on. No, you're living on the street. What does God, what does God mean when he says, I'm going to let you, I'm going to hand you over? Here's what he means couple came to me and said, I want to get married. I said, let's sit down. This is years ago. I said, how long have you known each other? Four months. Already living together. Four months. We want you to marry us right now. I said, I'm not going to do that. Our policy of the church is we do not do that. We're going to encourage you to be engaged for a year. I want you to date for a year and be engaged for a year. Two years? Absolutely not. I said, I'm telling you, this is a really bad idea for you to get engaged right, or for you to get married right now, and I'm not going to do it. They went off. They didn't listen to me. And what do you think happened to their relationship? Did God strike them down with fire and boulders and swords and horses and death and plagues? No, something worse. It felt like to them it was darkness and pain. They, because of their decisions, ended up actually experiencing the full ramifications of their decisions and their relationship blew up. That's what God does. Why? Because he wants us to turn to him in a second and say, Lord, I need your help. And the quickest way for him to get us to do that is to let us feel the ramifications of our decisions. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. There's a whole laundry list of things that people did. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossiping, arrogance, boasting, insolence, sexual impurity, hate, no fidelity, no love, watching, dancing with the stars, no mercy, disobeying parents. There's a whole list of terrible things that God will judge you for. But God's wrath is, go ahead, I won't stop you. So does everybody get this concept? In the book of Revelations, God is displaying his wrath, and imagery is used from the Old Testament to convey the feeling of what it's like to be a non-Christian when we're far from God. That is what we all agree to. 
When we are far from God, there is utter desolation in our soul, no matter how happy we feel. The book of Revelations, chapter 6 through 9, is happening all over in our souls. And God says, I'm here. I will be there in a second. I love you. I want to be with you, but I am not going to interfere with this. And my judgment is, you want to keep doing that? Go ahead. Here's something that's worse. And don't come after me with a crowbar. It's going to be hard for some people to swallow. God doesn't answer the prayers of non-believers. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Non-believers. I'll talk to non-believers all the time. And they'll say, ah, I just want to let you know, Pastor, I was praying about this job. And God answered my prayer. And I had a need. And God met it. Or I had a problem. And God healed me. And there was a problem. And God fixed it. And I have to bite my tongue. Because what they don't understand yet is... God didn't do any of that. There's a difference between correlation and causation. It just so happened that you're going to church right now as a non-believer and these things happened. That's correlation. Causation is when you become a disciple of Jesus and you pray. It's either yes, no, or wait. And the yes is like a direct causation for your prayers. That does not happen with non-believers. The only prayer that God answers for non-believers is, Lord, forgive me and save me. I want to become your disciple. And so the lessons for us today are twofold. Number one, please escape God's wrath by making Jesus your Lord. We are having a disciple service on March 13th. For those of you who are watching online, wherever you are in the country and wherever you are in the world, we will make arrangements for you to get baptized on March 13th. You will join us. For those of you who are willing, ready, and able to do that here, we want you to open up the app and tell us that you are willing to become a Christian. People come here all the time and they, and they say, I like the music. I like when people teach about the Bible. I like the classes and students and the, the things that we have uh, to do as adults. And what you need to understand is all of this has one goal in mind. To keep you from experiencing God's wrath and the ultimate day of judgment. And if that makes you think that I'm judgmental, so be it. The worst possible thing to be called in this culture in 2022 is judgmental. But there's a difference between being judgmental and speaking the truth in love. Where does God's love come in? He by bringing you in contact with the other disciples of Jesus. And this puts the burden on us. We used to be here. And there's a whole bunch of people that we need to reach. So number two, I want you to bring your non-believing friends to CCV. Bring them here online. Bring them here. If you're somewhere in the country or going to another church, bring them to that church. Whatever you do, please, I beg you, understand the book of Revelation is a book of hope. 
everyone knows, even those of you who are atheists, everyone knows this is the way life works. Everyone knows it. This is exactly the way my life has worked from the very beginning. But that doesn't dissuade us from the fact that even though we might be joining people who are under the altar metaphorically in the book of Revelations, because we have lost our lives because we held to the testimony of Jesus and what he did on the cross, we're willing to do that. Are you willing to do that for your friends, the people you work with, your neighbors? Not weird, not judgmental, but truthfully telling them, this is what's happening. Let's pray. We're so very thankful, God. Not a person in this room that is a disciple of Jesus that hasn't done virtually every single thing that you are allowing non-believers to do right now. We, in our brokenness and sinfulness, turn to you. And we pray that you would put across our path this week someone who looks like life is it's just going great. But underneath it, they are experiencing God saying, go ahead. Help us to share the gospel with them. Help us to be honest. Help us to recapture a sense of of urgency, that no matter how unpopular, no matter how weird we are painted, no matter how judgmental people say we are, that we will love people so much that we would even be willing to lose our lives to get them the message of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.